And we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 17. It's on page 1184. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Shining Kwailo. Don't laugh at me, Fiona. I know it was badly pronounced, but it was a very good effort. Happy Chinese New Year. Benny's smiling at me too. I thought that was pretty good, but maybe not. Let me try another one. Baladu Marang. That's a Wiradjuri greeting on this um, Australia slash survival slash invasion day, um, all of the above being true. And uh, welcome, if you're a whitey like me. Um, welcome to church today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have given us grace upon grace. And now you speak that we might recognise it, We might apprehend it and dig more deeply into it every day. For you have blessing upon blessing for us, Father, and um, your riches are never emptied. Uh, We pray that you might give us great joy out of all your great stores and that we might live to know and love you. Amen. Uh, There are different kinds of friends, of course. Uh, Proverbs famously says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I hope you have one or two of those. On the other hand, there are friends that stick close as long as you're going to the right movie. Uh, There are fair-weather friends like that. Uh, There are long-distance friends you hardly ever see but you love. There are old-time friends who you revive um, depth with very quickly. There are friends just for a season, beautiful fellow travellers along the way. Uh, Many years ago, Robert Putnam, an American writer, wrote a famous book about the decline of friendship and community and a boom in loneliness in his culture in America. The book was famously called Bowling Alone, which you think about is a very sad title, Bowling Alone. Uh, You can tell it's an old book because if it was written now, it would have to be titled Streaming Alone because people no longer even go out to a common place alone, just at home alone, them and Netflix, and who after all still goes bowling, though if you want to take me bowling I'll come. Uh, I think a book like that would speak just as deeply of Australia now as it did of American then, 
It seems to me when I reflect upon the way our lives work today that much of the structure of our lives drives us apart from one another and more deeply into ourselves. Distance grows, self-absorption deepens, and this, of course, is a recipe for great sadness. Thankfully, we're Christians. Uh, and Stanley Hauerweis, the great Christian ethicist, was right to write these words. Uh, thanks, Sarah. I think I've got him. Oh, one more. There we go. One more. He wrote, Whatever it means to be a Christian, it at least involves the discovery of friends you did not know you had. We could read that again. Whatever it means to be a Christian, it at least involves the discovery of friends you did not know you had. Uh, today we're going to see how true that is as an explanation of church. Of church. Uh, one of the great graces of God to us is each other. Uh, this is not obvious, it's, it's not easy to understand in a culture where friendship is confused and ambiguous uh, and it therefore is very hard to understand the nature of this gift for those of us in church. But it's very, very important that we gain it. As we've been saying all January, God is the God of grace. We've been given enormous generosity from him. And on one hand, he gave us a grace in Jesus 2,000 years ago by his death and resurrection that saves us and is our anchor utterly. But he's not stopped. And every day, day after day, he gives grace upon grace. He doesn't need to add to that grace. That grace was done. <laughs> Jesus' death was sufficient for my sins and yours and the whole world. But, but God is a generous God, and he doesn't content to save us, but to bless us richly with many things. We've seen how he gives power to the weak. We've seen how he speaks to people who will listen to him, how he enables us to depend upon him and call out to him in prayer. These are daily graces. And today we see that he's given us the great gift, the great grace of each other. And just like all the others, this is a grace not merely just to kind of take for granted, but to grow in and to dig more deeply into. So that's what we're going to do today, and that's what Colossians 3 does. It's a famous passage for doing that for us, and we're going to dig into it. And uh, we're going to discover uh, that what it, two things emerge from uh, this grace of God that we need to do to dig more deeply into it. And uh, the first is deeds of love in great thankfulness for each other. And the second is words of Christ in thankfulness being brought together in him. So let's get into it. Uh, some context, firstly, you'll see in your bulletins a little sermon outline. Uh, context, observation, message, application. And I've been commending that to you as a potential way for you to read the Bible at home in your own quiet times this year. Uh, why not open a passage and instead of going, I like verse 3, uh, I think I'll remember that, do a, do a little dig a little more deeply. Think about why is this here? What can I see here? What's its message and what difference does it make to me? So let me ask first of all for Colossians 3 verse 12, what's the context? We have a therefore after all, which suggests something's gone before. And we have these concepts of as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. What's the context for that? Uh, I was reading the Bible with a um, man this week. His um, uh, wife is Jewish. Uh, he himself uh, has fairly recently come to church. And he said, I don't like that. I said, what? He says, that idea of chosenness. 
I said, why is that? He said, well, I see how it functions. You know, one group of people who can think they're better than other groups of people, I don't like it. And he's picked up very clearly what you, the, the average reader would of Colossians when it was first written, and that is that the idea of a chosen people comes from the Old Testament. My friend was observing that among many of his Jewish friends, there's a kind of self-satisfaction with being Jewish uh, that excludes them from other people. And he said, I, I don't think that's good. I said, well, I don't think it's biblical. In fact, the Jews w- were God's chosen people. And the point of that was so that they would bring many people. It was an exclusive call for an inclusive mission. Uh, so if it ever short, stops short of that, it's clearly um, misshaped in some way. So I said, that's a good read. It, definitely you're meant to hear something of the Old Testament here. But if you look more closely, the real context for this address to the chosen people of God is just in the verse before. You don't even have to go so far back as the Old Testament to understand it. You just have to read verse 11, where it says, Here, that is in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And you realise, oh, the context of this passage is different. This is about how the chosen people of God have been transformed by the coming of Jesus. And now it includes Jews and Gentiles and barbarians and Scythians, slaves sit next to masters in church. For Christ is all and is in all. And that's so when, when Paul says, therefore as God's chosen people, he's speaking to gatherings like us, who say, Shiningwalo and Baladumarang and hello and g'day. That, that's who the chosen people are of God. Irrespective of race and class, they've been brought together in Jesus. That's the chosen people. What a wonderful thing this is. Uh, I saw this um, uh, over Christmas. One of the great things about Christmas at St John's, even though like half our congregation disappear, some of our old congregations come back. And I got to have a meal with an old member of our church over Christmas who left our church many years ago to work uh, with prisoners on death row in Angola prison in New Orleans. And um, she lives back in New Orleans now, continues to do work in criminal justice, and worships at First Grace United Methodist Church. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? It is cool. It's everything you would imagine a New Orleans church to be. It's got a great, cool gospel choir led in jazzy form by a choir director who is like James Brown groovy. It's, it's everything you'd want. What you may not realise is that First Grace Uniting Methodist is actually two churches brought together by Hurricane Katrina. What happened is one church lost their insurance and another church lost their building. And so the one church came to the other and said, we've got insurance, you've got a building, let's get together. So said the black church to the white church. And the white church said, Amen. And the black church presumably said, Hallelujah. So now that great groovy choir actually looks a little worse because half the choir is really groovy and the other half are, well, just a little white. Um, But that looks like the kingdom, doesn't it? And what would you rather have? A great groovy black choir or a kingdom choir that dances a little less well but sings the praise of Jesus together? It only took a natural disaster to create 
what always should be true in the body of Jesus Christ. That's the context for our passage today. We are not here by accidental organisation. We are not here by some demographic organisation. We are not here because there is anything obvious about our relationships that they should be friendships. This is not an obvious gathering. This is a Jesus gathering. He made it. That's the context. Let's do some observation. When you look at this passage, it seems like there's probably two points and they're contained in two paragraphs. Um, Paragraphs kind of do that to the eye. Have you noticed that? You think, okay, 12 to 17, it looks like there's two parts. Well, actually the paragraphs weren't in the original Bible and they mislead us here a little bit. Got to look a little more closely. And I'm struck by the presence of thanksgiving in this passage. You'll see there at the end of verse 15, it's there at the end of 16, and it wraps up the passage in 17. And I never really really knew what was going on with thanksgiving in this passage. But I was reading the Bible this week with a friend from church, letting the word of Christ dwell among us richly, and they said, seems pretty obvious to me, isn't this just the grace of God that you've been talking about? And it struck me, that's exactly it. This passage works around thanksgiving. So because we've come together in Christ and we ought to be so thankful, you know, that, that Sue's here with me and Heather's here with Clem and, you know, Clem's here with Anna, that has a certain naturalness about it, but um, we should be so thankful about this that it transforms the way we do it. And so from 12 to 15... We're told to let that great grace of God in each other affect what we do, our deeds. And so that thought about deeds concludes at the end of 15 with thankfulness and be thankful, do it thankfully. And then it also should affect the way we speak. And that's what we hear about in 16. And no surprise, that also concludes with thankfulness, with gratitude. And then we get a summary, verse 17. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God. Why? Because in Jesus, you and I come together. And without Jesus, I'd probably only know two or three of you. And the same is true for you. We should be thankful and it should change what we do and what we say. Let's consider what we do. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful." Very clear from this passage to my mind that I recognise that you are God's grace to me and every time you annoy me, I am thankful for you and I respond with gentleness, humility and patience. That seems very clear to me. Not easy, but very clear. That before I get frustrated with you, I must be thankful for you. The reverse must be true too, that you recognise... God's grace to you in me every time I annoy you and that you in thankfulness respond with love and peace. That seems to me to be quite clearly 
what's being talked about here. This, of course, will be terribly difficult at times, which is why at the heart of that section is the words bear with and forgive. Sometimes this will be done in the face of really deep bitterness and division. Often just garden variety annoyance and frustration. But the picture is what Jesus has brought together from diverse elements should not be easily busted up by minor frustrations or even by deep division. These virtues are knit together by love. They are not, it's not to be a strained kindness. Uh, this is not to be a virtue signalling humility or a fake patience that is actually passive-aggressive. No, these things are bound together from a, a, a real centre, a motivation, a heart of love. And therefore, the peace of Christ is to rule. Notice, in your hearts. It doesn't say, so therefore, let there be peace in the congregation. It says, no, let peace rule in your hearts so that you might then manifest that we are actually one body. Uh, this is an extraordinary thing to think. Um, clearly, by the way, it's motivated by more than what happens on Sunday. Uh, if all that happened among us happened on Sunday morning, um, then it, you wouldn't need that much compassion, kindness, humility. Uh, you just have to wait in line at the morning TQ. It's not that hard, is it? Uh, clearly, there's a life expected here, a kind of gathering, a depth to that and a richness to Christian gathering that is going to mean, well, some significant things to get over, like the black church and the white church in New Orleans who sing together but regularly have meetings to go, okay, what do we do now about this? <laughs> Our friend says, it looks good, but it's actually pretty hard. They bear with another, forgive one another, and put on compassion and kindness again. I've often said if we're not close enough to annoy each other, then we're not close enough, and I stand by that. To gather only in name and to not really end up uh, in each other's discomfort zone is not really to gather. But when we're there, that's transformed by the vision that we're there in Jesus who is all and is in all, and we give thanks to God. So that changes what we do. By the way, when you see this, it's just heart-meltingly beautiful. So this Christmas, as many of you know, and we've talked about a number of times with our brother Hendon, uh, we went really through some dark days around Luana's death, and I, I will count that as one of the sadder memories of my time at St John's and one of the most beautiful and I think, you know, when my days at St John's are up and I'm thinking back on what was moving and I will remember the deeds of love of the people from church that showed up to care. That's the real goods, isn't it? This stuff, when it has flesh on it, is just sublime to see. Not a unity of demographic or of affinity, or of, but of, um, of friendship in Christ. So it changes what we do. Secondly, it changes what we say. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom 
through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There it is again, something done out of gratitude and thankfulness. Why? Well, because I get to speak to you about Christ because you're with me in Christ. And you speak to me about Christ because I'm with you in Christ. We do this together, you'll notice, and I want to focus on the breadth and the kind of height and depth of this speech. Firstly, the breadth. There's a breadth in this speaking Christ to one another. You can see it there, first of all, in the breadth of sort of content and mood. So it says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Now, sometimes those things will be the same things. Sometimes they'll be different things. There's a great spectrum of the way we speak to each other. We're, we're not merely kind of flatteringly encouraging, nor are we always in a mode of constructive criticism, I hope. But we actually choose our word for the season. We speak from love. Sometimes it will be gentle, sometimes it will be tough. We do this to each other because there's a breadth of speaking the gospel, the message of Christ to each other that's required. But it's not just breadth in its content, it's breadth even in its form. You'll notice there are psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. And while I don't understand all those different formal genres, I know that that difference describes the word richly that we'll be speaking richly to each other if we can both encourage and say a hard word and if we can pray for one another and read a psalm to one another and sing with each other, that's, that will be rich. Uh, it's a huge challenge for this as a church because we're Australians and we like church to be over in an hour and to speak richly from the scriptures and allow a psalm to be heard and something from the Old Testament and the New Testament is something we frankly don't do. Um, there's a regular cycle in our church of us putting more scripture, more speaking of the word of Christ to each other in, in the service, and then taking it out because we go, it's too long, right? Uh, of including certain songs and not others and needing to really cast wide and make sure we have, we have songs and prayers and declarations that, can then, that lament and ones that celebrate and ones that plead with God, and others that are decisive declarations of our faith. We need the whole lot. Why? We need the whole lot because we suffer and rejoice and are shy in the faith and are full of doubt, and we need the word of Christ wherever we are. And it's all going on right here, right now, right now. So what we, when we speak the message of Christ to each other, reading the Bible, singing, praying, teaching, conversations at morning tea. We, we need a breadth and we need a great depth, a height and depth. Look at the end of 16. You will sing to God with, to God with gratitude in your hearts. To God. Firstly, there's a height to our speech. We don't merely meet to encourage each other but to worship God. What we do, at the kind of first address on the envelope of our speech is heaven. We're speaking to God. Quite a thought. I realise often I'm not. But that's why we come to worship and in that worship encourage one another. We don't merely come to encourage each other and never worship. We come to worship and in that to encourage one another. That's something of the height and of the depth. Well, it comes from your heart. It's not enough it comes from your mouth. It's not enough it comes from your head. It's not enough it comes just by rote from a book, but from, from the heart. The heart of worship, that worship in spirit and truth. 
And we hear the difference when we sing together, when we read the Bible, when people pray. We know whether that truth comes from the heart or from some other place. And when it comes from the heart and is addressed to God, it's deeply encouraging. A word of Christ to one another has breadth, height and depth. That's how we're called to speak. Because we're just so thankful that we get a chance to talk to each other about Christ, who is all and in all. But what does this mean? Well, one obvious application, I'm going to be like, frankly, obviously simple. simple, And that is it means gather. If you want to dig more deeply into this truth that we are God's grace to each other, then you, we've got to gather. This passage doesn't even tell us that. It just assumes that. And there's a very obvious reason. Because if you're not here, your voice isn't heard. And if we're not here, we don't see how to love. That's the obvious thing. That's the key thing about church regularity. Church regularity is not about, um, I don't know, more bums on seats or something like that or, you know, the preacher feeling better or um, people living up to some piety of I go to church every week. That, those are all terrible, false, shallow motivations. Church regularity, a habit of gathering, is about being there to speak the word of Christ to each other and being there so you know who needs compassion and kindness and patience, who needs forgiving, who needs love. And you'll know, you'll know the measure, you'll know in your own life, in your own heart, whether it's somehow you've just shrunk a bit back from gathering uh, so much that people are becoming somewhat abstract to you and you don't know how to speak a word, or you don't really sing with heart. And if that's the case, then it's time to enjoy God's grace again, isn't it? And recognise that here, in this weird little gift, in this funny gift box, God has given us a great grace of each other in Christ. And so let me encourage you again, as you did earlier. Would you turn to someone around you and say, Peace be with you. With the reply... And also with you.